A few months ago, we began this spiritual journey towards maturity together under the master tutelage of this great pastor, James. James didn't need any introduction in his book. He doesn't say, I am James and all of his credentials. He doesn't need to because he is none other than, than James, the brother, the younger brother of Jesus. And he didn't think much of his brother's claims that he was the Messiah. I mean, would you? I mean, this is the person you grew up with. And so he was very skeptical, but everything changed when he had an encounter with the risen Jesus. And this is the first recorded book in the entire New Testament. And all the people that were hearing these words or reading these words were eyewitnesses to the events as they occurred. Uh, so, so this is a profoundly important book. It's one of the great evidences that we have that the New Testament is accurate and it's real because the people were alive. And, and James starts off this book. The transformation in his heart is so incredible that he says, I am James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he is fully submitted to the idea that Jesus is Lord. And see, this has been the definition of maturity that we have been operating with the entire time. When we started this uh, weeks, weeks ago, when we started going through the first two chapters, eight sermons that are all online, we got this idea that maturity is when you submit to something that is bigger than you, that it's not all about you, that there's a greater we and not a me. And then we stopped just to talk about submission because I really wanted to get that point home. We, we talked about Jesus saying, Father, I've got to be on the same page with you. It's not good that we would be on two different um, agendas. So, Father, if it's possible, take this bitter cup away from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And he submitted to the will of his father. We talked about Hagar and about her submitting on the job. It's Hagar, go back to this job that you hate. Why? Because this is the place that I have set for you to be blessed. And so she submitted herself to the will of God. And then we talked about submission and marriage and got into that, the idea of two, no longer two, but one, that we are better than just me. The maturity that's required for it to not be about me, but to submit to something that's bigger than me. And so now James comes, and we're going to pick up on this third chapter, and he is going to address the number one problem in all marriages, in all families, in all businesses, in churches, in every human relationship. This is the issue, and the issue is immaturity in our speech. Immature words, crazy, thoughtless, immature speech. And so let's pick this up in um, the third chapter. You guys with me? You're not thrown off? You're good? Let's all stand up and read this together. Let's give honor to the word of God. Verse 1 of chapter 3. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Actually, that's why I've been procrastinating on this chapter for about three months. This is hard. Um, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that, may, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things... See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. 
Okay, so the, he's saying a lot about fire. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And with it we either bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude or the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, and he's pleading with you and with me, he's saying, my brothers and sisters, this should not be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring can yield both salt water and fresh. And I just want to turn us back to one verse from the first chapter, verse 19, where James would say in light of all of this, therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be Swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. My subject today, before you say another word, <laughs> before you say one more word, I want you to realize the incredible power of your mouth. The scripture says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. So I'm excited to be able to go deeper with you on this today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take control of this room. You would seize this place and capture our hearts and minds. Let the meditation of my heart and of my tongue be pleasing to you, O Lord. And I pray today that you would change us and you would give us vision to see the incredible power of the words that come from our mouths. Lord, the potential in this room for changing of the world is incredible if we would see that. So bless each one who came today with revelation and understanding. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. I'm amazed and deeply fascinated by the incredible creative power of the right words at the right time. Everything great, anything major that has been accomplished in this country is because somebody stood up to speak. They spoke and they affected incredible effective change. I'm equally amazed and just as horrified, really, at the incredible destructive power of immature speech, of destructive words, of, of words of... of negativity and slander and hate of, of a time that we live where there's really no restraint anymore. People will say anything 24-7, talking heads continually broadcasting negativity, somebody bashing someone. It is the culture in which we live, and it's gone crazy. I mean, everybody is talking about something. Everybody is spewing out something. I mean, everybody's tweeting something. Everybody is posting on Facebook. Everybody's blogging about something. Everybody's talking to the degree that together, I mean, individually, we're probably spewing out something like 25,000 words per day. No wonder we're tired. No wonder, you know, we're hot, and no wonder we're bothered, and no wonder we're frustrated, and, you know, all this foolishness, continual stream of words being spoken out. But there's something truly that's within us that's, that's built into the passionate soul of a person that has to be expressed. And when God created man and women in the beginning out of the dust of the earth and breathed into them the breath of life, and out of all the things that God did that he said was good, this he said was not good, that man should be alone. This is more than procreation, more than just physical union. He's talking about the purpose that we were created to communicate. 
when prisoners are locked up and incarcerated and when they, are, when they, are, they want to punish the most hardened of criminals, they put them into isolation because they know that to put us alone without the ability to give communication and to receive it is to frustrate us. And so we were made for communication. And your words are seeds. Your words are power. Every time you speak, they are the seeds of either life or either death. And whatever you sow, you are going to reap. I want you to think about that. Every time you speak, you are sowing something that is either going to bring life or it's going to bring about destruction. The word the spoken word causes germination or conception to take place. Every time that you open your mouth, you have power to bring life or power to birth death. That's why it's important before we say another word to just stop and realize that the words that we say are not just words. They should not be just thoughtless words, that we have a choice every time we speak that we're either going to bring life or our words are going to bring death. I wonder if you realize how attacked you are in this area of your life. You have been attacked in this area from the day that you were born because any time that you decided that I'm going to choose life and speak words of life, that agenda is attacked. Your enemy hates it when your tongue begins to bring life because he is the author of destruction. Of all the things that the disciples did, of all the things that they accomplished, nobody ever forbid them to do miracles. And nobody ever forbid them to heal sick bodies. And nobody ever forbid them to raise the dead. But over and over and over again, they were forbidden to speak any longer in his name. Why? Because when you speak life-giving words by the Spirit of God, things begin to change. Things begin to move. If just two of them would go into a city and begin just to speak about uh, what Christ had done and the life-giving words that given to them by their Spirit, things would radically change in that city and they would turn it upside down. Businesses would close. Idolaters would go bankrupt. People who had no recognition of the moral decay of their lives would suddenly be awakened by the words that would prick their heart and they would be changed and their lives would be set on fire because of the life-giving ability of effective spoken words. Oh, I just want you to think of the power that you possess right now. If you feel impotent, if you feel like you have nothing really to offer, if you feel like the word is passing you by, you are deceived because your, your mouth is a, the most powerful force. Your words have power to give life or give death. Think about the power to speak up just for the least and for the left out. The power to be an advocate, the power to be an intercessor, to speak up for the interests of others or for those who cannot speak. Think of the power just to speak and to engage in conversation and to do it well. And when you do it well, the generosity of your speech that causes others to become comfortable to the point where they begin to contribute to the conversation. And the conversation becomes life-giving and energizing because it's not all about you. Because life is given in that conversation and there's giving and receiving and there's a feeling of society because there is this moment where there is connection and there is growth and we are inspired and we are helped and we are encouraged and harmony comes and unity comes and we leave those conversations and we go out and accomplish because of that which we've received. Your words have that kind of power. You are here today, I want to tell you, with incredible potential in your mouth to change the world when you speak. Just think of the power of your tongue.
And I find it appropriate that James would begin the longest section of teaching in the entire Bible on the tongue. He would address that to teachers. He would address those who would get up and speak in his name and say, listen, you better not rush to this. There's a stricter judgment. You're going to be held accountable. Watch this, for he says in verse 2, for we all stumble. There's not a perfect person. We all stumble in many things. Now look at this. Listen, this is amazing. If anyone does not stumble in a word, he is a perfect man. He's able to bridle the whole body. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, just, just think about that verse. If anyone does not stumble in his words, he's perfect. He's able to bridle or to control or to direct the entire body. So I want you to think about whatever it is that you struggle with. We all struggle with different lusts and different things of the flesh that we can't, you know, areas of our lives that we cannot seem to get control of. All of us struggling, one thing or another, whether it's food or the lack of exercise or sleep or some habit or some lust that we're just battling over and over again. And the Word of God just said that if you could get your tongue under control, your whole body would be under control. That's amazing. Now, James begins to lead us through this passage, four revelations about the tongue. They were really, uh, pick these points up from Pastor Robert Morris. They're really good. Here they are. Number one, the tongue is disproportionately powerful. The tongue is disproportionately powerful. It's not just that it's powerful, it's disproportionately powerful. And he gives three different examples of three things that are very, very small, but have incredible power to illustrate the power of the tongue. He says, if we put a bit in a horse's mouth, that they could obey us. Or he talks about ships, though they're so large, they're, and driven by storms, they're turned by a very small rudder. Or he talks about how great a forest is kindled by a very small fire. He gives us three different examples of something small that has huge effect. The bit in a horse's mouth. Incredible that a little six-ounce piece of metal can control the power and the strength of a 1,200-pound horse. You see, your tongue controls your strength and your direction. And it's very popular today to find out all about what are your strengths, what are my strengths. Many of you have taken the Strengths Finders test. I want to know what my strengths are. But you can know all of your strengths and it doesn't do you any good if you cannot control the tongue. Because if you can't control the tongue, you may know all of your strengths, but you cannot direct them. Without a bit, you can't control a horse. And you can know all of your strengths and then be like a wild, destructive horse without a bridle. That's why James wrote in the 26th verse of the first chapter, remember he said this, if any among you thinks he's religious, you, you're, you think you're serving God and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart and that one's religion or his service to God is useless. I don't think the impact of that sunk in the first time. I don't think it sinks in today. It doesn't hit us as strongly as it should. If any of you are serving God but does not bridle your tongue, your service to God isn't worth anything. That's what he's saying. He talks about the analogy of a little small rudder guiding a great ship. And you've been on these ships. You've been on the cruise ships. And you see the size of these incredible vessels that, you know, three acres of recreational space and, and an anchor that's the weight of 10 cars and a, and a disproportionately small little rudder that guides the entire vessel. And any captain will tell you that the most important thing when the storm comes is the ability to maneuver that little rudder to turn the entire ship to face the storm that's coming. Because if he does not, the ship may capsize. And do you realize how many people's lives capsize because the tongue is not able to face people into the right direction? Not only in a storm, 
But think about just in great weather, no storm, but without a rudder. My assistant, Lucy, and her husband are, are, are learning how to sail out on Geist. They've got this little sailboat that they, that they use, and they're trying to learn how to sail. It may be a beautiful day, have the picnic lunch, and the whole plan of where they're going to go. But if something's not working with that rudder, they have no control. They will just be blown all over the lake. In fact, the lake, it may blow you off the edge of the dam. So check the rudder. <laughs> because without that little rudder, even in good weather, if you can't control where you're going, you may be blown off the edge. And then he talks about a little tiny spark, a little, a little spark that sets off a great forest fire. Just imagine that. Just, just as far as you can see, an incredible, beautiful forest of trees. And then to see that shortly thereafter, just burnt to a crisp, just stubs, trunks, burnt uh, tree trunks of wood with no leaves. That's what happened in Yellowstone just a few years ago when 7.4 million acres of timber, of forest, were burned because of one, listen, one careless match thrown out of the window of a car. 7.4 million acres, <laughs> gone. And see, that's what, that's what, uh, just one little word of gossip has that kind of power, he's saying. Gossip is like fire. A careless word can destroy a life overnight, can destroy a family overnight. I wonder how many lives have been destroyed, how many families have been destroyed, how many children have been destroyed, how many careers, how many reputations, how many uh, churches and friendships have been destroyed because people's careless words. That's why James would say, before you speak another word, stop. Think. You don't understand that even though the tongue is disproportionately small, you can't afford to let it go out of control because it's disproportionately powerful. The verses go on. Number two, the tongue is inherently evil. It's not just evil. It's inherently evil. You, you have been born with an evil tongue. As long as you've been alive, the tongue has been evil. It's a fire, the scriptures say, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. It's set on fire by hell. Verse 8, it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So we're born with this evil tongue. You don't have to teach your children to say mean things. You, you have to teach them to have manners and to say appropriate things, to say nice things. We, we, we're, we're born, we've inherited this evil tongue. Another way to say it is that the default setting of the tongue from birth is to destroy, not to do good. We have to train it to do what's right. Unless we train our tongues to do the right things, and if you've never thought about this, your tongue is just going along on its default setting, you're gonna do more damage than good. And if you think I'm wrong, if you need me to prove this to you, just think about junior high. And some of you are cringing already. I remember junior high. You remember junior high. I've got a daughter in junior high. I've got a niece in junior high. If you have one little thing that's not exactly perfect, and what is normal, but if you're just a little bit, you know, underweight, overweight, too tall, too short, your clothes, the kind of glasses you wear, braces, complexion of the skin, it's all going to be commented on. It's all going to be talked about. I remember that very clearly. Who dresses you? Stevie Wonder? You know, I remember. <laughs> Who gets you your clothes? I, those things hurt. <laughs> those things stay. Those are the, the, the tongue is inherently evil. James goes on to say that the tongue is humanly untamable. It, it cannot be tamed by any person. 
For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no one can tame the tongue. Now, that's the bad news, and that's why these, these little adverbs are, are really important, because it's not just untamable. That wouldn't be totally accurate. It's humanly untamable. The good news is that it can be divinely tamed. The one who made it can tame it. The one who created it can control it. The one who forged it can fix it. God can control and tame the tongue. In fact, when Moses came before God and God said to him, I want you to go and speak for me, and and Moses protested, and he said, I can't talk. I'm slow of speech. I never get the words right. I mean, I can't even think. You ever felt like that? I can't even think the words that need to be spoken here. That's what Moses was saying to God. Now, look what God replied to him in Exodus 4, verse 11. So the Lord said to him, who made man's mouth? Who made it? Who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go. Look at this. I will be with your mouth and I'll teach you what to say. That is an incredibly encouraging. That's that's meant a lot to me over the years. That I'll be with you and I'll help you and I'll tell you what to say. You see, do you understand that when the Holy Spirit came to people on the day of Pentecost, the first thing that the Spirit of God did when he entered into the lives of those people was to do something with their mouths, that he affected their speech, that suddenly he gave them the ability to speak in languages that they couldn't even speak. And it drew people from every tribe and tongue and, and nation, and they gathered around. And then Peter, who had not prepared, who, who it was in no way, in no shape to get, get up, got up and spoke the most incredible message of all history. And people responded by the thousands. Because God was with him and his spirit was in him and told him exactly what to say. One who denied him and cursed his name just a few weeks before now is standing up and proclaiming salvation in his name boldly and without fear. Why? Because of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And see, that's what you need and I need. We need to be submitted to something that's greater than us. This is maturity. The Holy Spirit, take control of my mouth. Oh God, put a... Put a, a, a guard on my mouth and put a door or, or, or put a door to my lips. Stop what I have to say. Give me the words of life. When the Holy Spirit controls your mouth, he'll tame your tongue. And see, James says, you better ask him for this because look what he said. He says, the, the tongue is set on fire by hell itself. That hell wants to occupy your mouth. That all kinds of bitterness and complaining and judgmentalism and attack and and negativity is the default setting. And you know this to be true. And you see, Satan can't hurt you. I want to just free you from that. You know, the the devil can't hurt you. if, If he could actually hurt you, he'd have killed you already. That's his goal. But he can't. So you know what he does? He uses you. He incites you to use your mouth against yourself to destroy yourself. When you open your mouth, you're either agreeing with God and life or you are agreeing with death and Satan. Because the very words that you have, words are power, life and death are in the tongue. You see, that's what it says. Every time you speak. And so then he comes back to Landis and says, well, the tongue is contrastingly productive. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's contrastingly Productive. It's not just that it's productive. I mean, there's such a contrast in what it can produce, both good and bad. Look what he says, verse 9. We can bless our God and Father, and with the same tongue, we curse men. 
We've been made in the, who have been made in the likeness of God. This Out of the same mouth, blessing one minute, cursing the next minute. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. He talks about how, how, can, how can fresh water come out of us and salt water come out of the same opening? How can a fig tree produce a grape and how can an orange produce an apple and how can this be? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. James is saying nature can't even do what the tongue can do. A fig tree can't bear olives and a grapevine can't bear figs. You can't have a spring that does one or the other, but the tongue can do both. The tongue can bless and curse. It is contrastingly productive, sometimes even within minutes of one another. We either bless or curse. This is like this morning. You know, God, I love you. I praise you. I exalt thee. Oh, you know, praise God. Amazing grace. I hate her. (laughs) I don't like her. I don't like what she says. I don't like what she said about me. Let me tell you what she, you know, she's such a gossip. Let me tell all of you what she said about me. That's exactly what we do. And it not not to be, James says. Now, let me read this passage to you from, from the message translation. If you don't read the message translation every once in a while, it's just so clear Listen to this. Don't be in any rush to become a teacher, my friends. Teaching is highly responsible work. In other words, he's saying don't be too presumptive that you have a whole bunch to say. And he's really calling people to look at themselves. None of us is perfectly qualified. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. If you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person in perfect control of life. A bit in the mouth of the horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. And by our speech, we can ruin the world. Do you see the power of your tongue? You can ruin the world and turn harmony into chaos. Look at this. Throw mud on a reputation and send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it right from the pit of hell. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue runs wild like a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God our Father, and with the same tongue, we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Curses and blessings coming out of the same mouth. My friends, this can't go on. A spring doesn't gush fresh water one day and brackish the next, does it? Apple trees don't bear strawberries and raspberry bushes don't bear apples. And you're not going to dip into a polluted mud hole and get a cup of cool, clear water. See, it's contrastingly productive. I mean, it can do a lot of damage. But listen, the other side is true too, that the tongue can produce incredible good. And that's why I'm saying before you speak another word, you stop and you consider what it is that you are sowing. What are you saying? Don't be thoughtless anymore. Stop. Think. Pray. You can bless your marriage. You can bless your children. You can bless, if you want to, you can bless the people on your job. And what you bless and what you encourage and what you speak and what you sow into will produce life and it will be productive. And I just think about all the people over the years. And I mean, I gotta tell you, this is why, I think of the people who spoke into my life. 
and who blessed me and spoke the words of encouragement and life to me, my parents and mentors and teachers and men of God who challenged me and encouraged me and who spoke to my potential and they blessed me and their words were like water to my soul and, and caused me to believe in who I could be and they nurtured my faith and caused it to grow. And friends, it has become productive now because of words that others spoke. There is life and there is death and the power of the tongue. And so before you say another word, be, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak, slow to get angry. Stop talking and be slow. If you slow your speech, you'll be slow to get angry. And let God speak to you. Get into the presence of God every day and realize that you can't tame your tongue, but the Spirit of God can. God, who made your mouth, can control it. You've got to be like Isaiah, who got up every, got up and into the presence of God this one particular day, and, and he realized, oh God, I am a person of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. God, I need you to do something in me. That's why David would say, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Uh, put a door in front of my lips. That's why prayer is not just talking to God, asking him for things. Stop talking. Prayer is a conversation where you, you may talk, but you listen to God. And you let his word affect you. Actually, Jesus was the one who said, out of the heart, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. So really, what you're speaking is saying what you're really like. And so your words are saying really who you are, and so maybe what you really need is a, is a total change of the heart. Have you ever done that? Have you ever asked God to completely change your heart? Have you allowed his words to penetrate your heart so that the words of your mouth will be effective? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Maybe the next word that comes from your mouth is an apology. Maybe the next word is asking for forgiveness. Maybe the next word is God created me a clean heart. Renew a new spirit within me. Take away my heart of stone. Give me a new heart of flesh. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? And now I'm going to stop talking and let God speak to you. You receive this today? All right, let's pray. Father, I pray that we would pause deeply today, and not just today, but every morning to get up and give you control of our mouth and let you speak through us. Truly, Lord, let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. Help us to stop and to think, to listen and learn from you as we pray. Maybe you'd say right now, you'd say, I need to have a change of heart. That's really the issue. You can have a heart change by giving complete control of your life to Christ, by surrendering, by submitting yourself to him. You can say a prayer that goes like this. Dear God, I know that you are God and I am not. I have been trying to control everyone and everything. I admit that. I am sorry, Lord, for doing that. I repent of that. I, I ask, I'm broken about that. I see what I'm doing with my mouth. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Take control of my heart. I'm ready for you to lead me. I'm ready for you to take control of my mouth. Yes, God, that's me. Father, you see every person who prayed that prayer, and I pray that you would draw them 
as we close this service to come and to pray and to confess their sins one to another that they may be healed, that they may share. God, I just need your help. I pray that, you're, that you would draw every person who's committing their life to you today to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Keep coming back. Amen. Aaron, what is, that's great, that's great. What is.